Luke 21, 5 through 38, Kingdom Timing, Part 2. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see, by the way, remember that uh, statement there, hair, none of your hairs of your head will perish. It's a figurative statement. Right? They, they were being burned, they were being slaughtered, you know, and they were losing earthly life. But he says, none of your hairs even will perish and you will find life. You know, that's the way that God speaks to us. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh, is drawing near. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves that and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. 
for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Every day, Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Some weeks ago, we were looking at Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37, in a sermon that I was entitling, Kingdom Timing Part 1. And here are the four points that we, four points, we learned from what Jesus said in that passage in terms of being prepared for the coming of the kingdom of God. So he said certain things in that passage that was related to the initiation of the kingdom of God with his first coming and in his incarnation, and the final consummation of the kingdom with the second coming. So those four points were these. We need to recognize the kingdom of God in our midst right now. We recognize the presence of Jesus with us now in the present and the power he provides to manifest the kingdom to the world. Second, we have to stay true to Jesus, not lose heart when troubles and difficulties arise. Third, we must be careful not to become preoccupied with worldly things. And fourth, we must not hold on too dearly to life here on earth. We are to live ever ready for Jesus' return versus trying to figure out future events and the timing of that return. You just live ever ready. Be ready. So I mentioned that when, I, I mentioned at that time, that when we got to Luke 21, Kingdom Timing Part 2, we would find very similar themes to what was expressed in Luke 17. In Luke 21, as in many of the other prophecies about the first and second coming of Jesus, once again, we find that in almost the same breath, Jesus speaks of events that will take place just a few years in time. It's just going to come very soon after you know, his death and resurrection. And in almost the same breath, he speaks of events that are going to take place much, much later at his second coming. And you know, he, he, doesn't, it's a, he doesn't specify what is the duration between these immediate events or imminent events and what is the duration till it, the final events. He doesn't even specify that. It's as if you don't even need to worry about how long that is. You know, he just sort of speaks of both of them in the same breath even, right? But let's look at the first set of events Jesus spoke about. So, okay, all right. Jesus says here in verse 20 through verse 24, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. And then he describes all of these things that are going on. Now we have the historical record that about 40 years after Jesus speaks these words, in response to a Jewish revolt, Jerusalem was surrounded by Roman troops. And these troops were led by Titus, who was the future emperor. He was going to become the emperor. But at that point, he's leading the Roman legions against Jerusalem. And before the Romans fortified the perimeter around the city, it was the time of Passover, and they allowed pilgrims to go into the city and then 
blocked everything. So these people couldn't come out. So you now had a large number of people inside the city who were all besieged. The siege was, you know, the Roman troops are around them. So you can imagine that they didn't have adequate supplies, food, water, all of these things started to become a problem. So the Romans were very deliberate that people could go in, but they couldn't come out. And then this was a bloody and brutal conflict for four months laying siege to the city. And after four months, the Romans overran all of the defenses, the zealots and the others who were trying to defend the city, you know, the temple guards and so on. And as Jesus said, the temple was raised to the ground, never to be rebuilt. That was that second temple that we know of as the second temple, Herod's temple or what Herod built. And that was the time in 70 AD when the Romans laid siege to Jerusalem, the temple was destroyed and has never been rebuilt. Okay? On this graphic here, what you see is the, the, the depiction of old Jerusalem. And you can see in the front portion, that larger section, that's the temple mount. That's where the temple would have been and the temple courtyard and so on. And that's where, you know, that, that was where they would try to defend and hold and so on. But you see the walls around it, the walls were built in different time periods, but the entire walls around the city of Jerusalem. And on the bottom, where you see the darker portions of the land, those are valleys. So the temple mount and Jerusalem are up, raised a little bit, and then you have these valleys around it. But the Romans coming in from the northeast surrounded the city and then would go in and just destroy it. To this day, there stands in Rome, near the Colosseum, the Arch of Titus, and the emperor, the, who then became the emperor, Titus, that memorializes the conquest of Jerusalem. And in the inner section of the arch, there is a relief showing the conquerors carrying away the golden lampstand, the menorah, from the temple. So even today, if you go to Rome, you can see this. After they had ransacked the temple in AD 70. After the Roman conquest, conquest in AD 70, most of the area around the Temple Mount in Jerusalem changed hands many times between the Byzantines, the Umayyad Caliphate, and the, the Caliphate, the Muslims, they were the ones who built the Dome of the Rock, on the Temple Mount. The temple had been destroyed, but they built this Dome of the Rock in 692 AD, right? And what you see over here is the Temple Mount here with the Dome of the Rock. Right in the front, in the forefront, is the Western Wall. It's the last remaining surviving portion of the old temple, you know, the outer walls kind of thing, that Western Wall. But looking out that way, out into the distance, is where the Mount of Olives would be. And so when it speaks about Jesus going to the temple and teaching during the day and then going at night to the Mount of Olives, he would walk down through that valley and across into that next sort of set of hills and in that Mount Olives, Mount of Olives. And that's where he would have been praying all night. So this is, so the, so the Temple Mount is destroyed, or the Temple is destroyed, 692 AD, the Muslims build the Dome of the Rock, and then you had the 
Crusaders, the Ottomans, and then the British, after World War I, occupied Jerusalem. So that's General Allenby entering Jerusalem in 1917. In 1967, with their victory in the Six-Day War, the modern nation of Israel that was formed in 1948 recaptured all of Jerusalem. And then the Temple Mount itself with the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque were given over to the control of the Muslims. So if, you ever have a, if you've ever visited in Jerusalem or you know about it, the old city of Jerusalem is divided into the four quarters as such. And there's the Muslim quarter, the Christian quarter, the Jewish quarter, and so on. And so, um, so this, this is a more recent picture, of course, speak, uh, showing the Dome of the Rock. It had a gold gilded thing put on it and so on. Jordan, um, the uh, king of Jordan, did that part of things. But they, the, the Muslims still worship and revere this site as one of their holiest sites. And they believe this is the place that Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice or to, to take him up to Mount Moriah and so on. They believe that this is over here. But they actually also believe that Muhammad ascended to heaven from this rock, right? So there's a whole bunch of significance for the Muslims. And then in the front, on the front section, that's the Western Wall. And that's where the Jews considered that a holy site because of the connection to the temple. And they come there and they pray. And you, if you go there today to Israel, you'll see even today, they come there and they pray in, in that section, right? So all these kinds of things are going on and all this stuff is happening. And we live today in what can be described, best understood, as the times of the Gentiles, which will last until the signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and nations in anguish, and perplexity, and people fainting, until that time when we will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, with power and great glory. The reason I put all those pictures up and showed you some of that and talked about the history is this, is to say this. The precise fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen, not one stone will be left on another. When you see the army surrounding the city flee because desolation is coming, when he described that in such precise detail to say, this is what's going to happen here. And at that point in time, when he said it, people would not have been able to comprehend it. It's like saying you were in New York before the World Towers, you know, the, 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 it fell. And someone said to you, one day, these towers are both going to fall in a matter of hours. You would say, no way. How could this even happen? What, what, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. That's what the disciples were saying to Jesus. Look at this incredible temple. Look at all these, you know, look at how big and strong it is. Look at how wonderful it looks. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left on another. And it took place exactly the way that he said. And the point that I want to make to you is this. If Jesus said something about what happened already 
then what he has said about what will happen, will happen. It will happen. You can be absolutely sure that the second part of his prophecy will also be fulfilled. We can be very confident that when Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we don't take our cues from history, from politics. We don't take our cues from what the world around us says. We are dependent on and are basing our lives on what Jesus has said. What does the word say? How does it call us to live? What is the, the command that had directed that he gives us? That's what we want to do. That's where we want to go. So we don't know exactly when he will return. And we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about the timing. What we have to do is to focus on what Jesus said. And he said some very specific things to his disciples as he's describing all of this. He said, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Many people are going to come in my name. And just before the siege of Jerusalem, there were those false messiahs or people who claimed to be the messiah that tried to lead people in a certain way. There were those who came that tried to foment a revolt against the Romans. Right? There were, and that's, that is part of the Jewish revolt that took place that the Romans were then coming and attacking Jerusalem for. So there were many, many claims that were going on at that time. But the same statement that Jesus made to the disciples then applies to us today. Do not be deceived. There will be all sorts of statements that are being made. All sorts of people that will lay claim. All sorts of things that people will say, I am saying this in the name of the Lord. And I'm not saying to you that all of them are wrong. I'm not at all saying that. I'm saying to you, that's not your focus. You can listen to it, you can understand it, you can receive it, you can examine it, you can you know, see what needs to be applied, you can see what needs to be received, by all means. But do not be deceived, do not follow after them, do not go after these kinds of things. This is what the Lord says to the disciples. Then he says to them, do not be afraid. And you know, when he says, do not be afraid, he says nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. Earthquakes in places that never had earthquakes. Earthquakes after a hundred years. Earthquakes, famines, pestilences, plagues. Things that you never even knew about. And, and, and listen to this phrase. And fearful events will take place. Do not be afraid. Isn't that great? Don't you love it when God says that? Fearful events are going to take place. Don't be afraid. That's the assurance that God has for us. That's the way that he speaks to us. That's the comfort that he gives us. He's saying to us, look in the natural. And if you're thinking about things and looking at things with your eyes, you're going to get afraid because fearful things are going to happen. I'm not going to take you out of these things and you will suddenly be in a bubble where nothing else happens and you will be calm. You won't be afraid because nothing fearful is happening. No, no, fearful things are going to happen. Fearful things are going to happen to you and to your job and to your children and to your house and to your car and you know, all sorts of things will happen. Don't be afraid. 
And that's a message that we've got to take to heart today. Because as the kingdom of God nears its consummation, there will be more and more reports of all kinds of things. And if we make our decisions based on fear, we will not make our decisions based on faith. We've got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I thank you that in the middle of all of these kinds of circumstances, I don't have to be afraid. And Jesus says to the disciples, in that day they will persecute you. They will come against you. They will say all sorts of things. When that happens, do not worry about what you will do or what you will say. Don't worry. Don't be concerned about how you will respond. Don't be thinking, what will I do in this situation? If this happens, if this person does this, it, by all means, be prepared, understand, learn, do all those things, but don't worry. When the time comes for you to take an action, I'll give you wisdom. When the time comes for you to say something to somebody, I'll give you the words. And I'll do it in such a way that your adversaries, the people who are opposed to you, cannot say anything. They won't be able to contradict you. No. If you try to know everything that there is, and if you say, I will take care of this and I know what to do, I assure you, you will be contradicted. Somebody will figure out how to contradict you. Right? Somebody will figure out how to thwart what you are trying to do. But if God is for us, as we sang this morning, who can be against us? If God says, here's the word you want to speak, who will come against you? I'm reminded of a time when um, my son was speaking to a Muslim classmate. Um, and he, they were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth about all sorts of things. And this Muslim boy knew the scriptures. He knew what the Bible said. He could argue the Bible like that. He had been well instructed by his imam and his mosque and so on in how to contradict any statement from the Bible. Ultimately, after a lot of conversation like this, my son said, I want to tell you what God has done for me and how he has been active in my life. And he shared his testimony. And he talked about what God had done for him personally. And he talked about why he knew God and what, how he knew God was true, not because he could argue the Bible, but because he had experienced this relationship and this true life in Christ Jesus. He went through all of that and the other boy said, what do you want me to say to this? And left. I mean, when God gives us the word, there's no, no, there's no contradiction. No one can say anything. They may argue with you. They may say all sorts of things. But in their heart, in their minds, they know. They're hearing truth. Truth that only the God of truth can actually put in your mouth. And you know, I've mentioned this before, and I think you know many of you have experienced this. 
You sometimes open your mouth, you say something, and you think, wow, where did that come from? Right? Oh, that was a good answer. Or that was a good statement. And you know it was not you. You know it was not your wisdom and your eloquence. It was the power of God that gave you the apt word to speak to that person. So, the Bible says, do not be worried about what you will do or what you will say. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. So, you know, when you read all of this, when you understand this, when you go through and think about what the Lord is telling us in these ways, we have to understand how we should respond to the Lord Jesus. Because he says very clearly, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. You know, some of the drunkenness and carousing that happens around us is not because people are just having a good time. It's because of the anxiety of life. And it's because they are trying to drown their sorrows or forget their pain or have a distraction or do something else that they will go into that behavior. But the Lord says, yeah, that's not where you will get your answers. That's not where you will have your relief or your help. Come to me. You don't have to go after drunkenness, carousing, and the anxieties, caring for the anxieties of life. You can have peace. You can have joy in me. Mike McKinley, in his commentary on this passage in Luke, he writes that when you stop watching for the coming of the Lord, and instead are watching out for all the things of the world and the watching out for the things of your life and getting anxious about the things of your life. He said, you will give everything that you have to looking attractive, having a great job, making enough money, finding the perfect spouse and raising exceptional children. This becomes our focus. And Christians stand just in danger of doing that just as anybody else in the world. Because when you read that list, you think, what's wrong with that? What's wrong if I look a little attractive? You know, what's wrong if I have a great job? What's wrong if I get a good job after having studied so hard? What's, what's wrong if I make not just enough money, but a lot of money? What's wrong if I find the perfect spouse? What's wrong in raising exceptional children? Nothing. Go ahead. Do it. Go after it, but do it led by the Lord, not by what you think, not by your anxieties, because every one of those things has the potential for great anxiety. Every one of those things has the potential for great anxiety. You don't look good enough. Uh, and now you have anxious thoughts. What will people think when they see me? Oh, oh, this is not good enough. You have anxious thoughts about your job, about do I have enough money to retire? I think I just need to make just a little bit more. You have anxious thoughts about that perfect spouse. Not only did you have the anxious thoughts before you found the perfect spouse, now you are having anxious thoughts about that perfect spouse remaining the perfect spouse. And then you have anxious thoughts about your children. I'm doing everything that I can for them. You know, I'm sacrificing for them. This whole homeschooling thing is a burden, but I'm going to do it. 
And then what happens after all of that? These children that I've raised, they're not even grateful. And you have an anxious thought about what will happen to these children. Every one of these things that we pursue, in and of themselves, are part of our lives. But when they become the distraction, the priority, when they take us off, when they take our eyes off of looking at Jesus and looking at these things, they become the anxieties of our lives. And we become anxious. We become worried. We become weighed down, burdened. The cares multiply. I said at the beginning that I want to encourage you to reach out to people. There are lots of burdened people around you. Maybe even you are feeling burdened at this time for a variety of reasons. Reach out to somebody. Help them to keep their eyes upon Jesus. Look to them to encourage them. And as you do that, and they encourage you, or as you encourage yourself in the Lord as you do this, let those burdens be lifted because the Lord says he takes those burdens. He cares for you. He wants you to cast those cares on him. He says, look, you come to me and I will give you rest. That's the promise of the Lord. Anxious about yourself, anxious about your children, anxious about your job. Oh, the economy is going to go down. More layoffs are starting. You know, things are going to happen. Small businesses are closing. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. And that means that as a point of application, we get to this statement that Jesus makes. He said, be always on the watch. What are you watching for? For his coming. Be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Not in terms of the tribulation or the persecution. That you will escape these anxieties of life. That you will not be burdened down, weighed down and going through all of this stuff. That you will not be reacting in fear. That you will not be deceived. That you will not have to worry about what you will say or do. The Bible is saying, Jesus is saying, watch and pray so that you can escape from all those things and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Oh, when Jesus returns, we want to receive him with great joy. We don't want to say, oh, Lord, give me 30 more minutes. Let me get a few more things in order. You know, then I'll be okay. We want to receive him with great joy. And no matter what we've been doing, no matter what we've been putting our hands to, we say, off it goes because I am with Jesus. Nothing else matters. You know, we stand in faith with joy, full of hope, in eager anticipation of the Lord's return. If you're living like that, it doesn't matter when he returns. It doesn't matter whether this war 
is the last war, or if this pestilence is that final pestilence that's mentioned in Revelation. It doesn't matter if COVID-19 is the plague that's going to wipe out the population. None of that matters. You pay attention, you understand it, you look at it, you pray, you do it. But we live with faith. We live with joy. We live with hope. And we live watching for the Lord's return. We live saying, Lord, come quickly. Maranatha, come, come quickly. We look to you, Lord Jesus, and we pray. You know, at the beginning I said again that we want to press in this month, through this month and into October. We want to press in in prayer. We want to pray. We're not praying and say, oh, God, help me. We say, oh, God, I want to live like this by your prayer. You said, do not be afraid. Then you've got to help me, Lord, to not be afraid. You said, don't be deceived, then you've got to give me discernment. You said, don't be worried about what you will say, then you've got to fill my mouth. That's what I'm laying claim to. I pray according to your word. I pray according to what you have promised. You said you will return. Make it sure in my heart. Let me be confirmed. Nothing will shake me. Nothing will affect me. I will be able to say, I am watching and I am praying. Not praying prayers of desperation. By the way, you can pray a desperate plea to God, but it's not from a point of desperation. It's a point from a point of faith. Do you see what I'm saying? We would pray and say, God, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. When we anticipate the Lord's return in that way, he will fulfill all things in a wonderful, powerful way. This morning, we are going to participate in the Lord's Supper, in the communion. And that communion celebration, that Lord's Supper sharing in it, the Lord said, do this until I return. Next week, we will be in Luke where Jesus celebrated and instituted that last supper with his disciples in Luke chapter 22. And as we read through that, it's a beautiful passage. We will be talking about that next week. This week, we get an opportunity to participate in it and to say to the Lord, Lord, I participate in this supper, in this communion, in this fellowship with my brothers and my sisters because I am confident that you will return. You will return for a bride that is ready. Make me ready. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you, Lord, for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that history has unfolded exactly the way that you said it would. Oh, what a joy. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, as we anticipate the rest of what you have said, the fulfillment of your word. Oh, we wait on you. We look to you. We watch. We pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, as we take communion this morning, cleanse us, renew us, prepare us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.